We live in a marvelous day, almost a day of instant communication, and we know that by our cell phones and television, internet, and all that has made it possible the last 20 years or so. But for the last near century, we have had in our day something that people for millennia have never experienced, and that is the impact of worldwide radio broadcast. Transworld Radio is impacting the world and has been doing so for 60 years, reaches in over 160 countries, over 200 languages and dialects. It's been used of God even to carry the message of Colonial Baptist Church and its ministry in one of our ministries, Wisdom for the Heart, around the world. So much so that even this week, our pastor is in South America, in Colombia, and then he'll be all the way to Venezuela. As you look at the map and see, he's doing a lot of traveling this week, impacting or touching lives that have been impacted through messages that are preached here, then broadcast through wisdom for the heart. And as that message is carried by Transworld Radio and even into South America, Stephen is ministering there this week. You need to keep him in your prayers as he's ministering then to people that hear him daily in churches and in rallies as well as then pastors and national meetings coming together to hear him because they've heard him translated. They're hearing him and seeing him for the first time now live this week. And so as he's ministering there, pray for his safety. The president and chief executive officer of Transworld Radio, Lauren Libby, is our second speaker in our summer series. It's a thrill to have him. We have two missionaries this summer, he being one, and so I've been joking with him. He's got to carry the mission's challenge, what it's to know the Lord, and he's going to be speaking today. He comes from Kansas. Was where he was raised. He'll tell you more about that. He's been the president of Transworld Radio since December of 2008. Formerly has served with the Navigators in Colorado Springs, various senior executive roles there. He's been a member, is a member of the board of directors of the National Religious Broadcasters, also on the board of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, and also on the board of Northwestern College in Minnesota. He co-founded Educational Communications in Colorado Springs, comprises 15 radio stations with 28 translators there. Lauren and his wife, June, have one grown son. I'm going to ask you to welcome both Dr. Libby. His wife, June, is seated over there. I'm going to ask her to stand. And so let's welcome Dr. Libby and June this morning, shall we? Amen, brother. Good morning. Really great to be with you this morning. Um, I have to admit the TWR staff asked me if I could do a 60-second commercial. Can I do that for just a moment? I mean, we're radio people, you know. TWR is uh, touching 160 countries in 200 languages. In fact, this morning when Stevens in Latin America, they're probably saying, uh, Buenos dias, Esteban, because that's probably the way he's listened to. I've heard him actually being broadcast in Africa in Swahili. He sounds interesting in Swahili. Yeah, just a bit different. Let me tell you, um, one of the things we do is we, we are out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world by mass media so that lasting fruit is produced. Over the next year, I'm going to ask you to consider something as you stop by that booth out there. 
We're praying that God would uh, provide 25 people. We're looking for geeks. We're looking for administrators. We're looking for assistants. We're looking for people who just have skills who might be interested in going somewhere in the world and serving in the name of Jesus Christ. So as you think about it, you pray about it, stop by the booth out there this morning and get some more information. And now we'll return to regular established programming. (laughs) You know, we're all born into a family, sovereignly. I was born into a family. You were born into a family. You were born into a family. You were born into a family. And we had absolutely no influence over that. You know, I think in my life there have been times that I have asked myself, okay, God, why'd you put me in the family you did? I grew up out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, nowhere was the neighborhood where I grew up, on a cattle ranch, wheat farm, out in the middle of uh, Kansas. And I think I've become to realize the truth of Psalms 139, verse 13. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now God has sovereignly ordained you with gifts, abilities, and born into a family. We all have motivations. I had two motivations as I was growing up. Number one is to amass a capital fortune, and secondly, go into politics. <laughs> kind of interesting, isn't it? I remember my father, when I was 12 years of age, putting me in the pickup truck and driving about 40 miles south to a place called Russell, Kansas, and meeting a guy who was running for Congress by the name of Bob Dole. When my son was 12, I took him to a meeting in Colorado Springs to uh, meet Bob Dole when he was 12 years old, when he was running for president. Now, if my son has a son, who knows? He might meet Bob Dole, because Bob Dole is kind of like the Energizer Bunny. (laughs) But that gives you a little background of uh, where I come from. At age 10, I started an illegal radio station in Kansas, and it had a little too much power. I built it, and one day the phone rang out on the ranch, and my father picked it up, and my name, his name for me till the day he died was Kid. So he looked at me, he said, Kid, I think this phone call's for you. So I pick up the phone, and there's a voice on the other end, and he said, uh, my name is H.W. Burrell. I'm the engineer in charge of the Federal Communications Commission in Kansas City. And, young man, I hear you have an illegal radio station on the air. I said, well, yeah, I think I do. (laughs) He said, well, you know, we put people in jail for doing that. And uh, he said, if you'd like to get an amateur radio license, you'll have a whole lot more fun, and you'll hear from me a whole lot less, and I'll be a whole lot less busy. At age 14, I started in commercial broadcasting, started working in a little radio station out in Kansas. Now, the fellow that owned that radio station owned seven other stations across Kansas, Nebraska, and Colorado. And for some reason, he liked me. And he began to mentor me from age 14 to age 21. 
He literally poured his life into me. I knew every area of the operation. And to this day, I am forever indebted to him for that investment in my life. That's before mentoring was really a big thing. I see there's a mentoring program starting here at Colonial. You know what? You ought to get involved in that. You really, really should. Because the next generation is worth the investment. They are. At age 25, I joined the staff of the Navigators, and after having worked as an economist in Chicago, forecasting commodity future prices. That's kind of like legalized gambling. That's what that really is. For farmers and ranchers, it's an opportunity to hedge your cattle, your wheat, your whatever. And for everybody else, it's a big speculative game. And that was a lot of fun. But at age 25, the Lord called me to move to Colorado, and I went to work for the international president of the Navigators. And for the next 10 years, I became a part of his family. I drove him to the office. I traveled with him. We worked on theology. We worked on a strategy for the world. I mowed his lawn. I waxed the floors in the house. My job was to do anything he didn't want to do or couldn't do. And I tell you, I am eternally indebted to that man. Because those two men invested their lives in me, a lot of who I am today is because of that investment. And I, the reason I bring that up is because I think it's absolutely essential that we view ourselves not just as an end entity, but a link in the chain. The biggest mentoring relationship we will ever have is with our children. When you think about that, they're the most important disciples that Jesus will ever develop right under our own roof. And I hope we really begin to think about it in light of where we are today. But Jesus is not only interested in individuals, Jesus is also interested in the nations. Through the scriptures, God is always talking about the nations. Why is God so interested in the nations? If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to the book of Psalm. Psalms 2, starting with verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. Why is God so interested in the nations? I'll tell you why, because it's Jesus' inheritance. When Jesus comes back, this is what he will inherit, the nations. And so whether it be Transworld Radio, whether it be right here, whether it be your neighborhood, whether it be your neighbor, 
God is very interested in the nations. And let me tell you, there are nations living right here in Cary and Raleigh. There is a huge Indian nation from India out in the Triangle. There are people who speak Spanish right here in our own neighborhood. There are people from other countries from the world, not to mention our own American nation. The nations are Jesus' inheritance. Now, why should Jesus get an inheritance? Well, for one thing, He died for the nations. He bought the property back. He took the real estate back. And that's why it's His inheritance. You know, Jesus in Revelation 19, 16, there's an interesting little statement over there. It says, on His thigh and on His robe there is inscribed, King of kings and Lord of lords. Why wouldn't Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords, inherit a kingdom and inherit the nations? That's why God is so interested in the nations. It's just not an issue. It's not just a mission. We are talking about the very character and the very ways of God when we talk about the nations of the world. Well, in midst of that, we think about, let's go back over to uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I you know, you, you, you could probably quote this. Most of us can. It's known as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, starting with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, and some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think for the first ten years of my uh, relationship with Jesus, I gave myself to a mission, and I missed something. I really missed something. I'll never forget, I was sitting on an October, warm October Chicago evening, and I would go over and spend time occasionally with a lady by the name of Jody Baker. Jody Baker, I learned probably more about ministry from her than anyone. She was the most street smart ministry person I've ever met. What a wonderful lady. In fact, there are some women who have had tremendous impact. She's one. Dr. Henrietta Mears, I think of other women who have had, who have trained leaders and really had impact. But I'll never forget this October warm evening and the, the wind is blowing the curtains back and forth and we're sitting there having a cup of tea and Jody looks across the table at me and she said, you know, Lauren, it seems to me like you're a pretty ambitious young man for Jesus Christ, and that's admirable. But I have a question for you. Thirty seconds after you enter eternity, will you meet a stranger or your best friend? You know, I had missed the last sentence of the Great Commission. 
And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, Jesus is with us. The privilege of the presence and serving of Jesus took on a whole new dimension of the Great Commission when I began to realize it wasn't just a mission. It's all about Him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, that put me on a mission to try to figure out who Jesus was. And let me take you uh, through the, the pilgrimage of that for just a moment. And I've got several passages of Scripture I'd like us to go to. first one is in Revelation chapter 1. This is probably very familiar to you as well. It starts with uh, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is exiled out on the island of Patmos on a Greek island. And all of a sudden, he, Jesus appears to him. And he writes for us a vivid 8-megapixel picture of what that looked like. And I'm sure glad he did here in Revelation 1, starting at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded around the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth. And went out a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining at its strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. He laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Pretty clear picture who Jesus is. We think of Jesus as kind of walking around in white robes, you know, nice beard, slightly milk toast, loving everybody. It's not who Jesus is right now. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And when you begin to see this picture that's painted, you say, wow, I get to talk to somebody like that? Let's look at another picture of Jesus. This time in the Old Testament. You say, well, what was Jesus doing in the Old Testament? Was he hanging around then? Well, let's go to Daniel chapter 10. And this is Daniel speaking and writing in verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with gold. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the noise of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained 
my strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and when I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a long, deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, O Daniel, greatly beloved, give heed to the words that I speak to you. Does that sound like Jesus in Revelation 1? You know, Jesus was active in the Old Testament before he came to planet Earth. Jesus was just as active as he is today. But he took this little interlude of a period of years, a very short period, and he was born into a human form. Dallas Willard, a good friend of mine, has a, famous, has a saying, and I, and I love to hear him talk about it. He says, you know, we are eternal beings who live in a little life support system that goes around at two to four miles per hour for 70 or 80 years, and then we return to our true existence, whether it be good or bad. Now, that's what Jesus did. He came down. He existed in a little life support system, walked around the earth for two to four miles per hour, subjected him to his own creation, and was killed by his own creation. Hey, that blows your mind when you think about it. It's incredible. Jesus could be across the galaxy in an instant, confining him to time and space. I mean, I'm amazed when I think about it. Well, let's look at another passage. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. I like this passage because I think it has some very practical implications for those of us that lead today. Let this mind be with you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 5. Verse 6, He who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearances of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you think about that. There's a lot of talk these days about servant leadership. I remember reading as a project back in the late 1970s a book written by Robert Greenleaf, who was with AT&T. He wrote a book, and it was simply entitled Servant Leadership. But what that did is that, that set off a whole new idea of what a leader really was. Was the organization there to serve the leader or the leader there to serve the organization? Were the people there to serve the leadership or was the leadership there to serve the people? It was published by Paulus Press, which was a Catholic publishing house, which was interesting in 1978. Then you begin to move forward and, and you look at what, how people view leadership today. Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. Jim Collins, Good to Great. John Maxwell, The 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, and 30 books talking about those irrefutable laws of leadership. You can go on and on and on. And I look at my Bible, and I look 
at Philippians chapter 2, and I think there's a lot of synergy right there. Now, you talk about a leader. Jesus took 12 guys, 11 who basically made it, started a worldwide movement, and we're sitting here today as a result of that. You tell me another leader that's done that anywhere in the world. It's incredible. Jesus is a servant leader. Want some fresh thinking? Get into the Bible. It's incredible what's there. Well, let's look at one more passage. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. You know, I, I like the Bible, and the reason I like the Bible is because it is just simple. Now, you've got to keep in mind, I'm a Kansas ranch farm kid. You've got to keep it real simple for me. But the thing I like about the Bible is that it sums up great truths in one-sentence statements. And this is one of those in Colossians 1.15. Now, if you were in seminary over here and you were taking Christology, you would spend a whole semester studying about this one sentence. Okay? Here's what it says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There it is. He's the image of the invisible God. He's God. And He's the firstborn of all creation. He's man. That's the doctrine of who Jesus is. And it's in one sentence. Let me give you another one. This is even better. You remember Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well? And they're having this little interplay about, you know, the Jews and the Samaritans and where you worship and how you don't worship and... You know, this whole discussion. And Jesus replies to her, he says, you know, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There's another one sentence. Want to know who God is? Well, he's spirit. And how do you interact with him? You interact in spirit and in truth. Great truths in one sentence in the Bible. Well, let's go on in verse 16 here. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Well, Jesus is God. He's also man. But I like verse 20, and I like it a lot. And I think we need to think about this as believers in Jesus these days because in him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross as evangelical believers we have a lot worked out and and we're pretty good at vertical reconciliation we understand what it is to be reconciled by Jesus back to God 
got a good handle on it. But when it comes to the horizontal part of reconciliation, I think we've got a little work to do. I think the whole world has a whole lot of work to do on reconciliation. I watched with great interest the Arab Spring going on. By the way, Transworld Radio every night was in those countries across North Africa in the Middle East talking about Jesus during the Arab Spring. Everything else was shut down. The internet was shut down. Television was shut down. And every night we were in there talking about Jesus. A big voice in a very dark land. Reconciliation. It's interesting to see what's happened in a year since then. The elections that are going on. What's going on in Syria. What's going on in Qaddafi, former Qaddafi land. It is incredible, the reconciliation that needs to take place. And I tell you this, I have interacted with Islamic people around the world, and they are very interested in Jesus. They are not interested in institutions. They are very interested in the person of who Jesus is. I have talked to imams out of northern Nigeria who have actually had Jesus appear to them in a dream. It is incredible. Jesus wants to reconcile people, if we'll just let him. And you know what? Jesus wants to reconcile in your own family. I've seen it in my own family. My father became a believer at age about 68 or 69. So, you know, if you have elderly parents, there's still hope, a lot of it. Let me tell you how it happened. He was concerned about me when I became a believer in Christ. And in fact, he was so concerned, I found out three or four years ago that he got in the car, drove to Kansas State University where I was a student, sat down with the dean of the college that I was in, who he knew, and he looked at him and he said, Dean, I have a question. Is my kid involved in a cult? And uh, God bless Dean Mugler looked at him and said, no, Dean, your, your son's involved in some pretty big things for Jesus. So don't worry. He's doing just fine. And he drove home. Now, fast forward, my grandfather dies. Sitting at breakfast, just slumps over on the table, gone. I get in the car, drive to Kansas. I'm with my father. And I'm single at the time, and um, we got in the pickup truck, drove out into a, far, a wheat field, about 120 acres. Now, the reason you go to a wheat field in Kansas if you're German is if you're going to cry, you don't want anybody to see you, okay? It's all facts and not feelings. You never let anyone see your weakness. That's just part of the culture. So we drive out in this wheat field. And my father gets out of the pickup truck, and I get out of the pickup truck, and we meet right about halfway. He looks at me, and he said, Kid, question, is granddad in heaven? I said, I don't have the foggiest idea. I really don't. You know, I talked to my grandfather. I, he thought I was crazy, and, I mean, you haven't been too supportive of 
my relationship with the Lord, but I mean, there's a bigger question. I mean, the issue's settled with him. My question to you is this. If I had a son someday, and if we were sitting in this wheat field in front of this pickup truck standing here, what kind of a conclusion could we come to about you? Now, I'm not sure when he came into a relationship with Jesus, but I'll tell you soon after that. I saw my father do 180 degrees. You know, you talk about transformation, spiritual transformation these days. I have never seen such a transformed guy in my life. He would sit at the Smith County Memorial Hospital holding his friends' hands as they were dying, talking to them about heaven and about Jesus, and they needed to go talk to Jesus. If you would have told me my father was going to do that, I would have told you you were crazy. That's a 180-degree turn. In our family, there had been a big fight over land. My grandfather and my great-uncle had this big fight over who, owned, uh, who was going to inherit land. In fact, it got so bad they didn't talk to each other for 45 years. I went to a one-room country schoolhouse. And at Christmas time, when we would have a program, and, you know, as kids, we would perform... My great-uncle would sit over in this corner, my grandfather would sit over in that corner, and, and it was like there was an imaginary dotted line right down the middle of the school, and nobody went across that line. Nobody. We didn't talk to each other. The kids would occasionally go across the line, and that's the way it was. They died never speaking to each other for 45 years. Going to the next generation, I refereed that fight between my father, my uncle, and my aunt. They didn't talk to each other for about 20 years. Fast forward 2003. My father has Parkinson's disease. He's in a long-term care facility. And in our little town, the long-term care facility sits across the street from the funeral home. Kind of convenient, you know. And so my father calls up and says, Kid, would you drive out here and would you take me to your aunt's funeral? Sure. So I drive out, put him in his wheelchair, wheel him across the street. We go over. The funerals, we didn't sit with the family. We weren't invited to sit with the family. So we basically were there. And, and when the funeral was finished, my father said, I'll tell you what I want you to do is wheel me right out there in front of the, of the door where the family's going to come out, and I want to I I talk to them as they come out. And he sat there and told people how much he, uh, my relatives, how much he loved them. Now, that had a profound impact in our family. A year later, he was getting ready to go to heaven. We had coffee and cookies, and probably 150 people showed up, said goodbye. About two days before he went to heaven, I saw my uncle circling out in the hallway. And I went out, sat down, talked to him. I heard stories about World War II I'd never heard in my life. Absolutely incredible. At the end of that, he said, you know, I need to go and talk to your father, and we need to get a few things straight. And so two days before my father went to heaven, he and his brother were reconciled. Now, Jesus is in the business of reconciling families and people. I've seen it happen in businesses. I've seen it happen. God has the ability, Jesus has the ability to reconcile people and bring them back together. And we need that kind of reconciliation across races in this country, across p- 
people in this country, across families in this country. We need a good dose of Jesus' involvement in reconciliation. And humility is the way that reconciliation with Jesus begins to work as we humble ourselves. That's what it takes. You know, we have the privilege of any time, any place, doesn't matter our economic situation, doesn't matter anything, of talking to Jesus. If you phone your congressman and want to get an appointment, you probably would wait three weeks if you ever get an appointment with your congressman or anybody up in Washington. But you know, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you have an instantaneous appointment any time, day or night. You think about that. What a privilege it is. In fact, let's talk to him right now. Jesus, thank you. That, Lord, you're instantly accessible, day or night, anytime. That, Lord, you reconciled us first to yourself. And you came in a time and space and you died. And now, Lord, you are reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's a whole group of things that are going to happen out in the future, in human future at some point when you come back. And Lord, as we spend time with you, and Lord, as we bring things before you, I pray you'd begin to actively, across our nation, across the nations, across our families, across any conflict lines, that you would begin to energize and activate your spirit for reconciliation. Because Jesus, that's what you came to do. And Lord, give us the courage to humble ourselves, to allow that process begin to happen. You live in our lives as believers. You are the one I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, there might even be someone here this morning who doesn't have that kind of a relationship with you, and maybe has been thinking about it, and maybe even never even thought about it, that needs to be reconciled to you first. There may be families here, Lord, this morning that need your healing reconciliation. Would you begin to catalyze relationships? As we pray, would you begin to energize your spirit in working in people? Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for each person here. I pray your blessing upon each person here and each, per, each family represented. And Lord, we thank you for this time to consider with you the great privilege we have to be a part of your family and your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Amen, Brother Libby. As you heard him preach, Jesus, the Son of God, the great servant leader, the great reconciler, as you sit here today, is he all of those in your life? If you do not have that assurance that he is your Savior, that your sins have been forgiven, that you are reconciled with God, we are here to help you today. 
and would like you to know that before you leave today, you can have that settled in your life, and that we'll ask God's blessing on your life that you'd have the courage, boldness, the grace, and uh, the desire to come and deal with some of those issues afterwards. Father, thank you for the privilege we've had to be under the Word of God today, to be together with brothers and sisters and praising you in song as well. I trust, Lord, that our service has been pleasing in your ears. Lord, as we look forward to a great afternoon and a good time with our families, we thank you for the family of God of which we're a part. If there'd be those in need, spiritual needs today, I pray before they leave today that your spirit would just wrestle with their heart and they would deal with those matters even in the next few minutes. Thank you for all that you do. Dismiss us with your blessing. Bring us back safely, we pray, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.